Welcome to the Life After Life podcast, where we explore our soul's physical and non-physical journey. I'm Majana. Let's discuss angels, guides, and loved ones from the other side. Hello and welcome back, my friends. Well, it has been a while, and that was not intentional. Did you think I had fallen off the face of the earth? In many ways, it feels like I did. And I am very happy to say that um, I am back with some renewed focus and intention, and I will share with you what has kept me away. And gosh, okay, I guess I'll just start with that. And I realize I'm beating around the bush because there's no easy way to say it. And God knows I wish I didn't have to say it. So I have talked a lot about my kids on this podcast, especially probably more than the others, Brock, who is the my youngest and my only biological son. And Brock would have turned 20 in December. However, on August 19th, he was involved in a fatal car crash. So that obviously put my life into a tailspin. And there's just so much around that. Even though I can still communicate with him, for which I am incredibly grateful, I'm walking my human life too. I'm mom above everything else. I'm mom. So that grief has limited my access to him just as it limits everybody's access. There was definitely a part of me that felt called to share this journey with you as I was walking through it, but it is definitely cyclical and I feel like I was spinning my wheels so much of the time. There was definitely, oh my gosh, so many lessons involved in this on the human level as well as the spiritual level. And I do have every intention of sharing with you my lessons, the process, everything about it, because given the gift that I have and Brock had as well, that probably has helped us stay in communication to a certain extent. And as with everything else, there are aspects that sometimes I'm like, wait, is this really a gift? I may be jumping the gun just a little bit, but I will share with you the main reason why it has taken me a year plus to be able to talk with you about this. Rock's accident occurred at 2.30 in the morning on August 19th. So that was a Friday morning. Therefore, the last time I saw him was Thursday afternoon. And we made sure, because our schedules were so wonky and it was the two of us living here, that we carved out time every afternoon when I got home from work and before he left for work And that was just our time to talk and catch up and help each other with anything we needed to do. So that Thursday was no exception in that aspect. And yet it was extraordinary in many, many other aspects. So I guess that's the starting point for this story. I was working at the breakfast bar in the kitchen when Brock got up and came in to get something to eat. He didn't have on a shirt and was opening the refrigerator to see what was in there. And there was a scratch on his lower back that just held my attention. I remember thinking to myself, I cannot quit staring at that scratch. What's up with that? And it occurred to me that my 
younger brother had a birthmark exactly where that scratch was on Brock's back. And my thought process was, that's really odd that it's in the exact same location. And I immediately heard a voice in my mind that said, that's because Brock won't live to adulthood either. So as a sidebar, actually my brother was killed in a military accident a week before he turned 25. So he was considerably older than Brock and technically an adult. I did not want to acknowledge or hear that. So my response was to shut it down. And I think I said to Brock, at least I shared out loud, my observation about the location of his birthmark. I didn't say anything else about it. One thing you need to know about Brock before the next part of our conversation is that he was absolutely passionate and driven to do what he could to level the playing field for anyone he considered less fortunate or underprivileged or just behind and didn't have the support and opportunities to get ahead in life that he had. So he also had a very strong entrepreneurial spirit. We had begun talking months and months before about a business that he wanted to start. Very simply, he just wanted to buy a power washer and start a residential business of cleaning sidewalks, driveways, trash cans, and so forth, so that once he could get income, he would hand it over to somebody that he knew and was working with at that time. And the way he described this person to me was, I know you think he can't rub two sticks together, but his mom didn't let him go to school until he was in second grade and CPS got involved. And so he really never stood a chance, but I know he can learn. He's slow, but I can teach him and I'm going to teach him how to do this. And then he will always have a job and I will grow it. And then he can train other people and we're going to turn it into a real business. And then he wanted to go commercial. Well, that had been part of our negotiations for months was how to get this really up and going and be reasonable and responsible and so forth. So although I didn't require him to draw up a business plan, I did want some structure around it. And he told me with great excitement that he had it, that he was ready. He had a price structure. He had the overview. He had all the if, ands, or buts. This was Thursday, and he wanted to go on Saturday and buy the pressure washer and get started on this. He was more excited than I had seen him in quite a long time. Eventually, our time of talking came to an end because he had to get ready for work, and I had to get ready for a standing commitment that I have on Thursday night with a group of lady friends. I'm incredibly grateful that we never left each other's sight without a hug, a kiss, and an I love you. And I had no idea that would be the last one. He went to work, and that night I was with my group of friends. It's always fun. We talk, we laugh, we play board games or card games. And just randomly that night, as everybody's laughing about something, I heard myself say, I don't want to outlive my kids. There was no thought behind it. And I couldn't believe I said that. And luckily, only one person heard me. And we looked at each other with a look of like, what in the world? And I said, I don't know. I have no idea why I said that. I'm sorry. And we just kind of went back into the conversation of laughter. We were on a roll that night and stayed exceptionally late. I walked in my house at 10 minutes until 11 o'clock. 
And as soon as I shut my door, maybe I took one step and I had a premonition. Now, this is where I have real conflict. And this is what has kept me off of this podcast for a year. I very clearly saw something that resembled maybe a cocoon, but very large, uh, solid black. I didn't see a face. It was suspended. And I'm not sure how it was suspended, but I knew it was. And I knew it was Brock. And very, very close to me, tangibly, was the angel of death, which I had never, ever given any thought to. I was present with both of my parents holding their hands when they made their transition, and I didn't have that feeling. This was so tangible, it literally stopped me in my tracks. And I remember looking towards his bedroom, which I couldn't see from where I was standing, but I was frozen. And my thought was, is there any way he did not make it to work? Is he in his bedroom? And I couldn't think of who left the house first. I know it was about the same time, but I couldn't remember if I saw him leave for work. I tried to move and I couldn't. So I picked up my phone and called him. Normally when Brock was at work, he would have his phone turned off, but he answered it immediately. And I was debating on how to word what I wanted to say because my premonitions are going to come to fruition. The thing is, we have no idea when. The premonition prior to that one that I had involving him took two weeks to come to fruition. And so I just said, Brock, I have a really, really bad feeling. So I need you to drive super carefully and get home safely tonight. He was in a bit of a hurry, and I could hear all the commotion, and he said, All right, I will. I am going to make one quick stop, and I'll be home. I love you. Talk to you later. Bye. So I just stood there feeling completely relieved, which I think is an act of love on the universe's part, and also my own brain not allowing me to process or really even remember in the moment the visual or that feeling of the angel of death. I know that I did just stand there for a moment and I asked my guide, should I go pick Brock up from work? Should I just go sit there and wait until he's done working? And the answer was a very clear no. So I absolutely trust the universe and my guide 100% and that was a closed book. I went about getting ready for bed and I went to bed. So you can see why I have struggled with this, right? What about all the if, ands, or buts? It's also important to understand that when you're given information from the universe using any of your psychic abilities, it's just information. There is absolutely zero emotion attached to it. The emotion comes in when we process it and we add that element to it. So when I talked to Brock and it was a normal conversation, That kind of brought me back down to normal, I guess. I felt solid. And since my guide said, no, don't go get him, I felt like it was handled. Like we were going to talk about it the next day and it was all going to be fine because my mind wasn't letting me go any further than that in that moment. So I went to bed and I was awakened and just knew that something had happened. But again, I didn't let myself know or think about what that was. When I finally looked at the time, it was a quarter till three. 
So I'm guessing that it was right about 2.30 that I woke up. I just laid there for a moment and I heard my heart pounding in my ears and I felt a something I've never felt before. I don't know. It's very difficult. It was a really a disassociation between my body and the rest of me. I remember thinking, okay, get up and walk. You've got to walk around. And so I did. I was walking and I felt every cell in my body vibrating like super, I don't know, hard, fast, something. And there was a horrible humming in my ears. It felt like my entire body was humming. And I had to talk out loud to be sure that I was real. And then as fast as the humming and the vibrating started, it all ended and it was absolute silence and my entire body went numb. Somewhere in this process, I recalled my conversation with Brock and not the premonition, but a knowing of the premonition. And I remember saying to myself, stop, just stop, because you know what this is. This is confirmation that Brock is not coming home. But I still didn't let myself go beyond that. Like I didn't think about what that meant. Does that mean he's spending the night at a friend's house? Does that mean he's in the hospital? There was no thought about what it meant, except he wasn't coming home. So I walked back over to my bed and just sat down. And my mind was just racing, I think. I I remember finally saying, why are you doing this? You have no control over what has or will happen. And I kind of looked around and I stood up again and I said to myself, somebody's going to ring your doorbell. I don't know if it's going to be Brock's friends or the police, but all you can do is wait. And I couldn't go because I didn't know where to go. So I just sat down waiting, and I don't remember thoughts at that point, just waiting. And at 4.30, my doorbell rang. And I remember standing up, and as I stood up, there was a picture of Brock on the wall, and I went came face to face with that picture. And I know I put my hand on it, and I took a deep breath, and I said, okay, this is it. You have to go answer the door. And there were two police officers standing um, on my front porch. So I opened the door and they verified who I was, if I knew Brock and what our relationship was. And then they asked if they could come in. My thought process during this was actually that I was relieved that they were being mundane and they were doing due diligence. I remember thinking, this is good. They're just, they're verifying. And they were very casual and conversational. So they came in and looked around and asked if there was anybody else in here. No, it's just me. And they said, oh, so just the two of you live here. Yes. And I was expecting that line of conversation to continue, but with no warning at all. The next statement was, we're really sorry to bother you this time of night, but there's been a car accident and Brock was killed. We were in my entryway. And there's a half wall between my entryway and dining room. And I remember hearing myself say, oh my God. And I saw my hand reach for the half wall and I saw my body begin to undulate. 
like in a way that shouldn't even be possible. And I felt my knees buckle. And I think I saw one or both of them kind of moving towards me. But I remember saying to myself, you have to breathe. You're not breathing. You have to breathe right now. And forcing myself to inhale. And that's where I kind of start losing track of time. I don't know what happened next. I don't remember most of the next several hours. At some point, I do remember saying, I'm going to go change clothes now because I still had my pajamas on. I remember going into my room, opening my drawer, and getting out shorts. I don't remember anything else until I was standing in front of my mirror, fully dressed, wondering why I was dressed and why I was up. So I decided I may as well work and gave myself permission to take a nap later in the day if I needed to. As I was walking down the hall, I realized a light was on in the other part of the house. And I recall being a little confused because I thought, gosh, is Brock home? And did he come and wake me up? That was our rule that if I was asleep when he got home from work, he had to wake me up so I knew he was home safely. When I hit that doorway and looked into the lighted part of the house, I saw a woman standing there and I realized she was in a uniform, although what kind of uniform didn't really register. And I stood there. I remember standing there and staring at her thinking, why is a woman in my house? Like, is this somebody that Brock knows? So I started walking towards her and it was truly like a movie scene. As I started walking towards her, it was like I was walking through a very long tunnel and she kept getting further and further away at the opposite end of this tunnel. What probably did not help is she wasn't talking to me and she wasn't changing her facial expressions. So it was a very odd feeling. And I remember walking and walking and thinking, am I ever going to reach her? And I remember looking at my own hand as I reached it out and I said, I need to touch you. And I put my hand on her arm and I said, are you real? She responded to let me know, yes. And I kind of looked around and then I saw the other officer and I said, is this real? And again, she acknowledged, and I said, I think you told me something about my son, but I don't remember what you said. Will you tell me again? And again, I don't recall anything until somehow I was over sitting on the couch, and one of the officers was sitting next to me, but the one that had been talking most of the time was standing. And I recall jumping up, and I said, I have to go to my son. And I started going towards the front door, which made no sense because I park in the garage, so I should have gone through the garage door. But she stepped in front of me, and I don't know if it was her or the other one. I just remember one of them said, oh, no, that's not a good idea on any level. And I stopped because that voice sounded like my sister, and I had to look at them both because I was confused. I thought, "Is, is Sandy here? And I looked at them, and it wasn't either of them. And so I started going to the door again, and this officer stepped in front of me, and she said, I can't let you do that. And I remember being very angry, and I said, I am not asking you. I'm going to my son. And I walked around her and got to the front door and stopped because I realized I didn't know where to go. And I turned around and looked at them and said, where is he? 
And they wouldn't tell me, obviously. I don't remember anything again until I was sitting down on the couch. Again, same spot. And Brock appeared standing in front of me, probably five feet away. It's helpful to know that he was very young when the Pixar movie Finding Nemo came out. There was a scene in there where Dory found jellyfish and she's bouncing on the jellyfish and called him Squishy and said, you're mine and you shall be my Squish and I will call you Squish. So from that point on, Brock called me Squish. He hardly ever called me mom. And if he did, it was something serious. So there he was standing in front of me, sobbing, and he just kept saying, Squish, I'm so sorry. And he repeated several times, and I remember saying to him, Brock, it's okay. It's all right. Just go get back in your body and come walking through that door because I need you to walk through that door. And he repeated his apology, and I repeated my directive, and then he was gone. And again, that's all I remember until I was calling my daughters at 5.30 to ask them to come over. And I recall trying very hard to sound normal. When I got off the phone with my daughters, the police asked if I wanted them to tell my daughters about the accident. And my response was, hell no, I didn't want you to tell me. And I don't want them to see you here, so I asked them to step behind a wall until I had told them, and we had a few moments. Then they asked if we had questions, and they left. I have to admit that I am a little surprised by my own reaction during this, in that I'm processing it again for the millionth time as I'm sharing this with you. So I think this is a good place to stop for right now. This was the hardest step for me to get back in the saddle, so to speak. And I want to thank you for your patience and your understanding and all of the love and support that has already been shared. Many of you have emailed me asking if I was going to continue the podcast. And now you all know. A few weeks after Brock's accident, he and I were having a conversation and He told me that I have to still be here because there's something that I have to do that possibly I could do if he was here, but I can do better if he's not. And of course, I would love the shortcut and for them to tell me what that is, but no, they're not. I know that the best way for that to come about is for me to focus all of my possible attention on it, and that is exactly what I'm doing. So I am no longer teaching or having other diversions, so to speak. I am putting my full attention on my spiritual work and growth, so I am doing this full time. I have been and will continue to meet with people on Zoom or in person to do sessions and translate for them. And I have hosted a couple of retreats and am getting more on the calendar, basically trying to do two of those a month, If you're interested in checking out the website, which is majanadawn.com, under the menu there it says events, and there are some retreats listed. October has two of them. Let's go watch some beautiful fall foliage. Gatlinburg, Tennessee, when the eclipse is going on October 12th to the 16th, we will be there for the eclipse and do some work around that as well as just take in some of the beauty. So there's a description and explanation and all the details about the Gatlinburg, Tennessee retreat. 
Then the next weekend, October 19th to 22nd, I will be in New Hampshire, New England for the fall foliage and doing a workshop retreat there on learning how to create your bliss. This is exactly what my guides have given me as a process to co-create the wonderful things we want in our life. So we will do that in New Hampshire. Then in November, the 9th to the 12th, we'll go back to Sedona. And I have to say, I am so excited about the network that I have in Sedona to make it just a really phenomenal retreat. We'll be back there again the 9th to the 12th, then the 16th to the 19th of November. A quick trip to the Arkansas Quartz Mines if you would like to go digging for some quartz in um, what many people call the quartz capital of the world. All of the retreat information is on the website as I get it finalized. And my intention is to keep these kind of intimate and small. I used to love big groups, but right now I kind of like more personal and get to know you better. Also, if you see that you live near where I'm having a retreat and you would like to host a connection party so that your friends can get discounted sessions, I'm happy to talk with you about that. And something else that happened before Brock's accident, but I had not yet announced it, is that I am actually now ordained. So I can perform weddings and celebrations of life. Wow, that's a lot that I just threw out there. Actually, that was a lot in this whole podcast, wasn't it? Wow. Thank you for sticking with me. And I appreciate you very much. I will be back to share experiences of this past year and the lessons and realizations and all the things that have gone along with it. So as always, if you have any questions or ideas for podcast topics, I am all ears and would love to hear them. In the meantime, namaste.